Welcome back, everyone, to the Film Alchemist podcast, the show where we discuss movies and what elements make them work. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined, as always, by my dear friend and co-host, Alex Dandino. I so badly wanted to say the name, but I know. I know you get mad if you don't get an intro yourself. <laughs> I honestly just want to keep you on your toes. I want there to be a long pause the next time. Well, we always have, yeah, these dramatic pauses where I'm like, oh, boy. I'm expecting <laughs> to hear a, you know, and then be haunted. But we'll get to that. Uh, so this is a special show. This is a segment we're going to do um, that we're calling Now Playing. This is movies outside of the curations as we normally present them. Movies that are in the theater now that we are insanely excited about, have been looking forward to a long time. Uh, stuff that we see that is so interesting that we just want to talk about it on the show. Um, and the first one we're doing might be the best one we ever do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this weekend we saw the new horror film Hereditary. Uh, just came out. Do you know the director's name? I already forgot. Yeah, the director's name is uh, Ari Aster in his debut feature film. Yeah, can you fucking believe Hereditary is a debut film? Written and, <laughs> written and directed. Yeah, so uh, obviously starring the great Tony Collette. Um, this is going to be chock full of spoilers, so if you haven't seen it yet, definitely run out and see this movie right away. Please. See it in a theater uh, with an audience because it's fascinating. I actually, both times I saw it, had horrible audience participation. I also had pretty terrible audience participation. I had a lot of people in the theater who thought it was kind of funny, which... If you've seen yeah. the, if, if you go see the movie, realize uh, it is not a funny movie at all. <laughs> it's it's tremendously it's, not a comedy. In fact, not a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, what I noticed uh, is I think the movie, this is an unusual horror movie in that the horror elements are very secondary to the dramatic elements most of the time. Yes. Until you hit about the last 30 minutes. And what it does is it puts you in, like, imagine being at Thanksgiving dinner, right? And then your family just starts airing out all the worst personal shit ever, having that fight. Right. And your reaction to that and the insane awkwardness yeah. <laughs> that you would be experiencing. Uh, the movie puts you in such awkward moments. And one of the things that this movie does so well is it airs them out. Yeah. There's no rushing in this no. movie. So a lot of the scenes, and that's why, I, I mean, at one point I just wrote down, I was like, this is just acting porn. Yeah. Like, they just put the camera on an actor and just let him go. I mean, this is possibly the greatest acting ensemble I've ever seen in a horror movie. Yeah. Not necessarily best cast or anything like that, but that, that performances turned in in this movie are unreal. Yeah. Everyone so, is fantastic. Wait, yeah. So you put people in these moments of just pure pain and loss and grief, and you just force the audience to sit there and deal with that. And you put the jump scares aside, a lot of people in my theater were getting very uncomfortable. And yes. that led to some giggles and trying to make a joke to break this immense blanket right. uh, of heaviness. <laughs> right? So I, I don't know that that helped the viewing, but it was definitely interesting to watch. Right. Um, what was your gut reaction leaving the theater? I mean, I think you know that this is not like the movie I run out to see a lot of the time. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen it twice because yeah. I saw it the first time, loved it, and was baffled by it. Yeah. I was like, I have to go experience this again. And I even told you, I was like, I think you're, it's going to mess you up. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I thought my my like quick, brief like tweet <clears throat> was that this is uh, beautiful. 
It is twisted yeah. and it is follows you home scary to me. Right. I, I think my wife would cry if she watched this movie. <laughs> um, one of the critiques, though, is that people don't find it that scary. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. So you're leaving the theater. Yeah. What are you thinking? Uh I also did not find it like terrifically terrifying. I think the parts that I think are really? scary. That's fascinating to me. I think the parts that I think are scary. And again, the things that bother me in a movie are much more associated with uh, gore and kind of viciousness of humanity, like that kind of stuff. This was on a different level, though. And this is actually the version of horror movies that I love to go see and I love to watch yeah. in my home is like, because this does to me, like this goes right back to like, the 1970s like you're getting into a psychological horror film which is um mm. part supernatural part uh but really what it is at the core of it and this is what really is the horror of the movie is a family drama because what it is is about the secrets we keep from our family and how that eventually will destroy everyone like that's really kind of what the movie was about to me is like the family aspect and what's important about family and what critiques we give our own family to the point where maybe that might just drive them over the edge and eventually you know obviously there's a big third act twist and eventually but it goes back again to the secrets we keep from our family that's something i really enjoyed about it is i walked out of the movie going wow like it's important to be honest with the people that you love and if you don't actually <laughs> and if you don't actually and even if you don't actually love them it's important to be honest about that like it's a really interesting examination of how keeping secrets and how keeping things from your family and keeping them bottled up inside can manifest physically. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, when Hunter comes of age, I'm going to be like, son, I've raised you to stuff you like a Thanksgiving Turkey with the demon <laughs> from hell. <laughs> yes. Honesty, son. That's the big, third, no, um, that's the big third. Act I, think, I think you, you hit me, on some interesting, right? Like Ari Oster, I, I saw a video. He said, um, he's really, cognizant of movies like don't look now and rosemary's baby yeah. when he was making this and you can see that and oh, I, for I love sure. this tradition too and it also hits on some of the things i really like about uh religious horror mm -hmm. um but i think you said it right like a lot of people were telling me and i've been reading a lot online that the critique of it is that they're mad right that it was billed as this exorcist of our generation and it's not actually scary which i i completely take umbrage with um you actually had a phrase, right? The things that bother you are gore and viciousness. To me, this is a very insanely vicious movie, but it's right. emotional viciousness. Right, exactly. That kind right? Of They're thing. not hacking away flesh, but, I mean, that dinner scene. Oh, my is, God. I mean, that is one of the most brutal scenes of just the family breakdown, right? The yeah. nurturing mother completely breaking down and savaging her cub Yeah. Uh, that I've ever witnessed. And this is a movie I left the theater and I was insanely unsettled. Like it's one of those movies you feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. And then near the end of the movie and not necessarily that we haven't seen so many taboos broken in this and that, but they start, they earn your trust well enough through craft. And then by the end of the movie, you realize there's, there's a feeling of unsafeness. Yes. Right. Like when I go see Friday the 13th, I know what's going to happen. I can imagine. I never feel unsafe, right? Like, I might get, ah, jump out of my seat. Right. Or, wow, that would be a little scary if this giant monster was trying to hack me up. Sure. This movie, I legitimately felt unsafe. You all of a sudden realize that the captain of the ship um, is could steer you off a cliff at any time. Right. right? I mean, I think like, the really... If we're the flat the, Earth, we're the going really off into space. The really impressive thing about the movie to me is 
actually comes from the marketing campaign because it was marketed as a completely different movie. And what's smart about that and what's smart about A24 doing it this way is they marketed it to the normal horror crowd saying like, hey, if you want to go see like a fucked up family horror movie about like some weird shit that goes on with this family, then like there's some possession and shit like that. That's how they marketed the movie. And you walked in and immediately when I started watching, like when the first inciting, the actual inciting incident of this movie is not the mother dying. The actual inciting incident of this movie is the thing that you're going, holy shit. The rest of this movie is going to be fucking insane, isn't it? Like, that's the thing that's amazing about it is everything that happens from the moment, uh, from the moment Charlie gets decapitated on. God damn. You're like, that. that is one of those shit. scenes, right? We talk a lot about this on the Alchemy podcast, right? Like, there's there's an uneasy, unscientific math in movies, yeah. right? You add actors and directors and screenwriters and, oh, fuck, why did that not work? You know what right. I mean? Uh, you just start tossing it in the cauldron and mixing it up and hoping for the best. Um, this movie forsakes one of its great elements, right? They have the child who gives an unsettling, creepy performance. And you think that, oh, this is the the creepy child movie. And then they just rip her head off halfway. Through. It's genius. Like, not even halfway, like 30 minutes yeah, into the no, movie. Yeah, like 30 minutes into um, the movie. It's genius. I mean, it, what it yeah, does I is actually totally think, unsettles everything for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And you, and you, do, you no longer have any trust that your safety and like your easy viewing is going to go on, right. which I think you lose early. But by the end of the movie, when things start really getting out of hand, you just are so worried. Like it's an actual, I felt worried. Yeah. And then I came home and it followed me as like, I'm, it's one of those. Now I can't walk through my house with the lights on for a day <laughs> or two. Uh, you know, like I had to close my bedroom door cause I would see shadows and light playing with it. They do a great job of that. In the movie. Yeah. Um, I actually think A24 is going to gonna take a little kick in the pants uh, for the marketing. You think? Uh, this, yeah, the CineScore apparently is really bad. It's like a D minus or an F. Like, audiences are not digging it. And I think what happens, right? It's kind of like when I went and saw It Comes at Night. Right. Where A24 does this thing now where they're making these really interesting dramas. Yeah. That are border. They have horrific elements, but mostly are dramas, things like that. Right. But they keep marketing him, them as these terrifying theatrical experience. Hmm. And when horror movie fans go to that, and then you give them something like It Comes at Night, it like, what the fuck? I didn't want to see The Road. I wanted to see a scary movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know. Uh, and that's that's a hard thing. This one, I think, is different because I think it delivers some of the greatest horror movie scenes I've ever seen. Oh, it's great. But you have to get through a lot of hard-to-swallow very tense family drama. Right. And I don't know that the average horror audience is going to be in on this. And like I said, th this is not an easy movie. This is a hard movie. Um, even on the second screening, I left still unsure of certain elements. It's a movie right. where everything, and this is how most movies should be, right? Everything's a visual symbolism for something right. else. This movie, you feel like every single thing on screen means something yeah. more. <laughs> I agree. So it's it's really hard. I took so many notes, and it, it took me a second time, like running out into the lobby to try to write down more ideas. Right. Um. So yeah, I guess I I don't know where you want to start on this. I wrote down a lot of ideas, and um. So, I guess we'll start with Tony Collette's character Annie, right? Sure. So she's the she's the mother of the film. We right. start the movie. Her mother has died. They're going to a funeral. We meet the family. Um, there's so much that spawns off of her that is interesting to me. What I something I honed in on right away, right, is when we're at the school 
with her son Peter. Is it? Is it Peter? Is that the character? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that actor's name, but god damn, that kid that, was amazing. That is a that is Nat Wolf. Yeah, he, him, and Tony Collette should get nominations for this movie. Yeah, if the Oscars have any ball. I mean, last year Get Out got nominated, and that was a good movie. That was a great movie. This is pretty substantially. I, these performances also, are so far and above anything we got in that movie. I so mean, if we're if we're okay else. letting indie horror movies in, these two should both get nominations. Yeah. Um. There's so much to get to with Tony Collette, though. Um, but one thing I liked a lot, right, is the school sets us up with this myth of Heracles, right? Mm-hmm. Is is something as tragic if it's fated by the gods, right? Um, so is it more or less tragic if you don't have a choice? And to me, that is Tony Collette this whole movie. So what we learn is that it's seemingly, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you agree with this, I feel like she is unwittingly the hand of the mother, right? I She's think- actively causing every horrible thing that happens in this movie her entire job is not mother nurturer right she even talks about it once in therapy i kept my mother away from my son and then she came in with the girl and got her hooks in right right um i think tony collette is the villain of the movie unwittingly she's the villain and the hero which is an interesting dynamic right um what did you pick up on in that regard I mean, in regards to the Heracles thing, I think it actually functions twofold for me. Uh, one, it sort of tells you <laughs> it's very interesting. Ari Aster does such a great job of it. He literally tells you what's going to happen in the movie uh, without telling you. And this is sort of like the really fascinating thing about the whole flick is like we were talking about. Everything in the movie is very deliberate to me. Like there's nothing in the movie that I was looking at and going, oh, that's probably just something. No, like everything is super specific. I'm looking at lights that are on inside uh, dollhouses, like that kind of shit. Like everything is very specific visually to give you the clue that something terrible is about to happen around the corner. But I actually <laughs> right. think the Heracles thing is interesting because it's Nat Wolf. Is a, Nat Wolf is essentially the Heracles in this movie, by the way. Like he. See, you think he's the Heracles? Okay. See, I feel like she's the Heracles. Well, I think that. Okay, explain. I, I, I think Hit they both are. I mean, I think Tony Collette is obviously the unwi- unwilling, uh, the unwitting participant in something that she had no idea she was participating in. She was given an opening by Joan to participate in something she had no idea what was going to happen. But Nat Wolf is the conduit for Paymon. So, like, that's the whole thing for Nat Wolf is he is right. This, he he's. He was born destined to become this. Like, that was the thing is he was ordained at birth that this will be the vessel. So right. Nat Wolf is essentially fat, a fattened calf up for slaughter at this point, which is right. Which and is see, really that's the thing. I feel like she is as well. Right. So her mother Absolutely. obviously has a history of this. And I think what we see by the end of the movie is that this is a long lineage of these. Yeah. Paymon worshipers. Um, but I think what's cool about. The scene is that Tony Collette is both, right? She mm-hmm. she both is the unwitting victim of a plan and she's actively fighting against it. So she's tragic in both ways, right? Yeah. She is trying so hard and she's not doing it and she doesn't have control. I mean, really, um, isn't it like the greatest familial manipulation of all time to like trick your oh. daughter, like totally trick your daughter into thinking she's Here, Here's a great thing, right? When she opens <laughs> the book, like notes on spiritualism. Yeah. And there's that note to Annie, like, don't don't be sad what you've given up. Um, yeah. Our sacrifice will be worth it in the end. At first, it seems kind of unusual. On the second screening, though, you're like, she gave up everything, her yeah. life. She's literally just becoming a breeder mm-hmm. to create subjects. And somehow she breaks free. 
and seemingly saves her son. And Paimon, um, again, this is kind of convoluted, so we're going to have to pull a lot of this part. Right. But presumably, the the vessel becomes Charlie, the daughter, which he doesn't like. He wants to be a man. Right. Um. But yeah, so so her fighting back, and then even the sleepwalking becomes such a fun thing because that's her trying to fight against her program. Right. And the moment when she talks about how she woke up striking a match and she had covered herself and all of her kids in paint thinner. Yeah. That was her on a subconscious level trying to do the wrong thing for a heroic reason. Right. Which is to save and free herself and her kids from this this demonic uh, possession. Right. And plot. Which, I mean, it becomes such a crazy moment. And she's leaving herself notes and presumably other horrific crimes right. while she's sleepwalking. So even in her sleepwalking, she's not necessarily... You start to wonder which one is the real Tony Collette or the real Annie. Um, and it's just so fascinating. Uh, something else that she does, obviously, she's a miniature craft maker. Yeah, that was really And the miniature scenes are fucking... They're pretty brutal. Creepy. They're very creepy. Yeah. What do you make of the the miniature scenes you know it's kind of strange like i i feel like her being a miniature artist is sort of this symbolic assertion of her own control like to me yes what it boils down to with tony collette's character being that kind of artist is she's so out of like the rest of her life is so out of control like so much stuff in her life is so wrong like Past Gabriel Byrne is her husband, who's like kind of just this like unwitting participant. Like he's like the most. We'll, we'll get we'll get to the fucking ultimate dad later. Yeah, <laughs> but like that's like kind of what it boils down to to me is like this is her version of control. Like which is why she's willing to explore these really very very dark moments in her life in her miniatures. Like she starts making a miniature of the accident that took Charlie's head off. Oh my like, god! That like, scene good is so Lord. good. Yeah, you know which one really unsettled me the most? Um, it's it's our only moment where we somewhat get to dive into her relationship with her mom. Right. And the one that really got me was when she's breastfeeding her child and the creepy old mom's pulling her old titty out yeah. above the bed. And I was just, oh, like I have a wife right now who breastfeeds regularly. And right. To imagine my mother-in-law chasing her around with her boob out. <laughs> um, it That is so creepy. And then there's another one where... She's just like hovering in the door while the couple sleeps and the lights coming through her dress. Yeah. Um they're just they're so unsettling. Like the accident obviously cuz it's showing horrific carnage. Right. The other scenes though are showing things that are equally as disturbing. Yeah. I actually thought the door the her standing in the door and the light like blasting through her evening gown like that was the thing I was like, "Whoa." Like Oh yeah, that would repulse you if that like, happened in real life. Like some, ah! like not a moment, like, ah! but also I'm just like, there's some fucked up shit going on here that no and one's then, talking. This about. is the brilliant one. They flip the camera right, and we're staring over the miniature shoulder through the doorway into Tony Collette. Yeah. Oh my god, it's it's very. That's what I mean. This movie does so many things like that that are are small details, but they added to this building sense of unease in me. Yeah. And that, that's what I miss in most horror movies. Um, most of them nowadays, we kind of venture more into torture porn and a yeah. lot of jump scares and sound scares, which I do not appreciate as there's much another as thing that this something movie, like this. There's another thing that this movie calls its attention to itself. And, and this is something that I really love about this movie is um, the editing techniques and the editing tricks. Oh, my God. Movie. Yes. There's yes. something about like when because 
here's the thing: they, a lot of the time in the a lot of the time in film school, and if you're watching TV and movies, like they talk a lot about seamless editing. Like you should not be able to tell what's happening. What I love about Hereditary is that there's cuts in this movie that are specific to draw attention to itself, to completely jar you. Like specifically the cuts from day to night or night to day like that. Yes. I love because it's supposed to jar you back to like, Hey, fucking wake up. Like something terrible is about to right. happen and you need to stay in the, in this movie. Like that is something that I think is really fascinating. They have unbelievable transitions and editing in this movie. Um, the three that I noticed right off the top of my head, I was just like, God damn, like <laughs> unbelievable filmmaking. Uh, when Tony Collette finds her daughter's body. Yeah. And so now we're just, the kid goes to bed. He lays down from dark to day, right? So it fades into him, like, with sunlight on his face. As he hears his mom just like, hey, I'm going to the store. Do you need anything? Ah! Dead body! Oh, my God. And then it just, it cuts from that and her in the driveway and his close-up face as he hears his mother discover his deed, his accident. It was the most. Then we cut to the room where Tony Clay is just writhing on the floor in pure agony. And then we cut from that, you know, you pan over. Peter's in the hallway taking all this in, the weight of what he's done. Yeah. Then you cut from that audio-wise directly to the cemetery where they're lowering the casket as she's still crying. So you gave us an enormous amount of information and emotional um, cues, and you just keep it going very smooth, right? Yeah. That this grief never stops. That's what the effect it has, and it it's so beautiful. It's amazing. Um, I adore the cut between him sitting down and then all of a sudden the hard cut to him in his classroom at the desk. Yeah. Uh, beautiful cut. I mean, the movie is just loaded with moments like this. The one that, um, the one but that that's I, a, you, you hit it right though, right? That the invisible hand yeah. doesn't exist in this one. No. And it, do, it plays to the point of always making us feel as if there's an omnipresent, uh, malevolence. Yeah. That's always hanging over our heads. That, that goes again to this. You don't trust the director to keep you safe. Yeah. Cause they're violating all these conventions. Well, like that was the thing. Like the one that I loved was, uh, when she sleepwalks into his room and the paint thinner thing where she's like talking to him and they're like, she's like, I didn't want to be your mother. And he starts crying. He's like, why are you telling me oh this? Oh my God. And like, yeah. They cut back and forth and all of a sudden he's wet. And I'm like, is he sweating? And then it cuts back to her and she's wet. It's like, is it raining in the room? And then she strikes him back. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit. She's going to light them all on fire. I'm like, this is incredible. How did I know? Oh my God. Like he's like just throwing everyone in this. Like there's no pretense. Ari Aster's just like, you are going to watch this whole shit go down. And I don't give a shit if you don't care how I cut this together. Like it's yes. important that we get to this as fast as possible. In- and what that does, too, the other thing that that does, so the jarring cuts, right, which are beautiful, by the way. Oh, that's great. And also the, the other transition they use that I love is where a lot of the wide establishing shots are actually miniatures of yeah. scenes, which is really, again, to get back to the miniatures, I, there's so much extra there. Um, but to my point real quick, what that does, right, these unsettling, quick, notice the edit, notice the cut, mm-hmm. it unsettles you. And then when we get to the end and we really let the scenes breathe, right? So when we get the acting porn scenes of one of the most unbelievable scenes in this movie is something I'll remember till the day I die is right after the girl's head gets ripped off. Oh, yeah. Right? And you just see her brother sitting there gripping that steering wheel. Oh, my God. Going through the entire experience of what the fuck just happened. And they don't let you off the hook, right? We don't do it quickly, and then he just wails, and ah, and we cut. They just make you fucking sit in it. 
So you juxtapose the jarring, notice my cuts, notice my cuts, style, style, with just stillness yeah. as we sit in this fucking morose. Um, it it just, it delivers so much extra emotional gut punch. Um, but yeah, back to the miniatures, right? So we see this, a lot of the scenes, like you said, the decapitation scene plays as a mini. A lot of the establishing shots are the miniature. Um, even the last shot, the last thing we see is a pull-away miniature, right? Yeah. And I think it's like that, right? I, I may agree with you is that she is not in control of her own life. So she tries to make these scenes to, in a way, for the first time, like this is something else the movie reminded me of is that we are all our, a god onto ourselves. Right. Right, we all think we're the master and center of our own universes, right. <laughs> and everything pans around us. Everyone who says they're not like that is full of shit. Right. That's just who we are. It's just humanity. And so, it's Tony Collette is not like that though in this movie. She is, she was usurped at a young age by a mother who had a purpose for her. Don't right. regret what you've lost. Our sacrifice will be worth it in the end. Um, so, these miniature scenes are a way for her to try to take some control. And I think what's funny is when she's always like, what? This is a neutral examination of the accident. She doesn't seem to understand why these scenes are so repulsive. Right. It's it's just something that's so like it's it's such a strange thing. Like you realize I, here's 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 how I'd put it. Like when you're an artist, like when you're someone who's making who's creating like you are intrinsically linked to it. Like there's something emotional, no matter what, about being an artist. So for her to say this is an objective look at the accident, like that's not art. Like you're not making art. You're, I mean, and, and, no, no art, no art is neutral. No, really. exactly. So for her to sit there and say my art, this art is neutral, is a much more terrifying than anything in the movie going on. Like her to say, <laughs> her to sit there and be like, yes, my art is meant to just explain something that is unexplainable like that is terrifying in and of itself but i also think that tony like annie is just so annie's still grieving obviously but she's also so obsessed with the idea of not confronting her feelings and not confronting this very specific thing which factors heavily into the next scene which is dinner which might be one of my oh. favorite scenes in the movie like that. Oh my god, it's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. It's just like this stillness in the in you, exactly what you were talking about. Like the stillness in the movie and the stillness in the scenes factor so heavily into that. What I think is like the magnum opus of the movie and really sets the whole thing off in the other direction is that dinner scene. Finally, is these characters saying like, "All right, fine, we're gonna like like let's fucking have this conversation." Like you want to have yeah. this conversation, we're gonna have this conversation. And the best part is all, all under the watchful gaze of the ultimate dad. <laughs> I was just hey, gonna say hey, that. <laughs> time out, guys. Hey, time, hey. <laughs> time, time out, time out, time out. Yeah, he's such a. I <laughs> Gabriel maybe Byrne. nothing in the movie year to me is creepier than Gabriel Byrne just able to keep it together amidst this horrific, <laughs> <laughs> this horrific melting down of his entire life. How he's still just like the dad. Yeah. He's right. Just a dad. Like the most dad scene he has in the whole movie is when someone's like, hey, um, someone just desecrated your mother-in-law's corpse and grave. And he's like, oh, goodness. Goodness <laughs> gracious. And he's like, oh, it's nothing, dear. And he just goes about his shit. Oh, yeah. He's like, even after the death of Charlie, he's still pretty like he's the one keeping it together. Yeah. Which is great. But yeah. they, they give him one scene. They give right? him the when one he slams moment on the brakes the kid from and he just weeps at the light. Yeah. You're like, fuck, that is good. Yeah. Like, that is good. But yeah, like the first like 
three quarters of the movie, you're like, what the fuck is going on with this ultimate dad? <laughs> yeah. Like, the only way is that they had given him some cargo shorts and, like, sandals with socks or Crocs or something. Right. That then like, you're like, well, now we're just being silly. That and, like, a vicious <laughs> golfing habit, that would have been, like, yeah. the thing you'd be like, cool, got it. He's the... <laughs> Annie, stop emoting. I have a tea time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, Tony Collette, and then just delivers monstrously on that ending. We'll kind of do the whole ending as a thing. Yeah. Uh, here's a question I came across. Do you think that Charlie has any concept that she's housing Paymon? Is there a Charlie and a Paymon? I don't know if there's a Charlie and a Paymon. I think what it is is... I don't think Charlie realizes... I don't think so because Charlie says that thing at the beginning of the movie where she tells Annie, like, Grandma told me she wanted she wished I had been a boy. Like yes. that to me indicate that to me indicates that Charlie knows that there's Charlie knows something Annie doesn't, but it doesn't indicate that I think she knows that she was meant to be Paymon's uh emissary or whatever. Uh, so that's to me. Do you think there is a Charlie and Paymon's like the John Malkovich style passenger? Or <laughs> no, I don't think it's that. I think it's a matter of it's the uh, it's what they were talking about, like towards the end of the like at the end of the movie when they're like, you know, we got rid of that other vessel for you. So like, well, that's that's but interesting. That's what I mean, right? You're right? Because it, feel, it. it feels like there is a Charlie. Like maybe the seed just hasn't germinated yet. Maybe that's maybe what there it is. needs to be a further ritual. Because I was a little confused by that. And this will get into the next question I have, which is the dancing light, right? Um, but we'll do that. But there, there's a an oddness even in the very last scene when presumably Peter Peter's soul is extinguished, right? Like from jumping through the window, seems like he could have died, but obviously as the light settles on him, he he becomes Paymon in a way, right? Um, that feels like Paymon taking over, and he's seemingly very confused and in a newborn state, right? Trying to figure out what's happening. He also very calmly um, the, goes the up into the treehouse and not runs away screaming. So I'm assuming yes, it's Paymon. But the, the difficult part with Charlie that I had in this movie is I don't know if she understands. She's obviously making the dolls and there's a lot of decapitations, things like that. Um, but Charlie's spirit. I don't know if Charlie's actually a spirit that ever exists in the movie. I don't think she is. I think it's Paymon the whole time. I think it's always Paymon. Like, even when Joan has a... Okay, now that's it, because I actually thought it was the... I thought it was the grandma, Queen Lee, or whatever it was called. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because, yeah, you struck on it. The scene at Jones becomes so unsettling past just, oh, there's a ghost. Once you realize, oh, it's not her grandson. Yeah. Uh, so she's obviously one of these cultists who's been with the grandma for a long time. Right. Um. And that's the thing. She tricks Tony Collette. She's not the medium. Tony Collette is the one who's moving the glass. Right, yeah. Right? Tony Collette, Tony Collette is the vehicle. So somehow through her, the spirit that is attached is her mother or Charlie, I would presume. Yeah. But they, they make you think it's Charlie because of the drawings mm -hmm. at one point. Um, yeah, I don't know where you fall on that. Do you think Charlie ever is in the child or the spirit? Well, I mean, I would say that also depends on. I, man, you got my head spinning now. Maybe it is. I maybe that's what I love about this movie. There's like ten of those questions. I mean, I'd say yeah. Her. I mean, by by all accounts, I'd say yes. That means Charlie probably never existed, and it's been Paymon the entire time, which is probably why 
uh, grandma was so obsessed with like keeping Charlie, which is also right. interesting. You realize her name is a boy's name as well. Yep. There's a lot. Wow. Holy shit. This whole movie just unlocked. Uh, yeah. Like that's. Yeah. I mean, I but would here, say here's the interesting thing, right? There's the, the parents are insanely overprotective of her. Right. Right. We see that through the You can't walk outside. You'll get an ammonia. Right. No socks. What are you, an idiot? <laughs> and I don't know if Tony Collette realizes why she's behaving that way. Um, there, the peanut allergy is an unusual element. Um, maybe that's something Paymon manifest himself to rid himself of the lady body. Uh, right. I thought that was unusual, but, but here's the scene, right? This is something I think about, or I thought about again, when she goes to that party seemingly is the most Charlie moment to me, right? She's uncomfortable. She's trying to reason with her brother. Don't leave me. I'm scared. That didn't feel like Paymon to me. That felt like Charlie, you know, in that moment. Right. So I, I still haven't settled in myself if I think Charlie is just the cradle, right? And so there is a child in there that they're willing to sacrifice, which also comes into play later because we get this inversion of the trilogy. Yeah. Or the Holy Trinity, right? And so if Charlie is a husk and not actually a person, I don't know if her sacrifice and blood help finish the ritual. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it is kind of it's it's a weird dynamic they play with Charlie in this movie. Right. Was that who may actually be the most tragic character if she's a formed little girl. Wait, are you talking about <laughs> the end the headless the headless do you think that was headless Charlie? At the end No, Charlie's head is on the the giant drawing doll. Right. Okay. Right, so that's that's headless Charlie. What what I noticed the second time I watched it, right, is like this is a scene that really unsettled me. When they open the door to grandma's room, there's just a triangle under her bed. Yeah. I'm like, wait, no one's gonna talk about yeah. the fact that grandma just like burned to try. Yeah, no one addresses that at all. Yeah, and it's just it has this unusual vibe. And later we see Peter's head or his picture in the middle of a triangle again uh on the table surrounded by decapitated little animal heads right. at Joan's house, right? When she doesn't answer the door. Uh, when she goes to that, I expel you, Peter. <laughs> um, but when I noticed when she first, dis when Tony Collette or Annie discovers the first picture of Paymon in the book, he has three heads on his belt. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. And then there's an inversion of the trilogy. Well, three's always like, it's one of those uh, like Wiccan and Witched people believe it. 3 a.m. is the witching hour, I believe. Yeah. Well, that's a um, Catholic, the rule, that's a Catholic the rule of too. the three or whatever with witches, right? Whatever energy you put out will be returned on you threefold. Yeah. Um, but even this, it plays as a, uh, you know, a pseudo religious thing too, with the inversion of the Trinity, right? right? Instead of father, son, and Holy spirit, it's mother, daughter, and unholy spirit. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's unusual. Cause yeah, the triangle, there's always a Peter inside of it and this and that. Uh, yeah, it's so that, that is something I picked up on the second time. So I think Charlie has to somewhat be a little girl to make that sacrifice worthy. Right. Maybe. And that, to me, makes her maybe the most tragic character in the whole movie. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's such a... There's just so much to unpack. Like, I, I honestly, like, I, I, I would agree... I would agree she's definitely the most tragic character in the movie. Like, she has a lot of, like... Like, she... <laughs> She is the one that has. She's the one that seems to have a fatal flaw. Like she has this peanuts. nut allergy, which peanuts, yeah. <laughs> which, which I'm not really sure. I would call like. I don't even. Th I don't think that's even a Paymon manifestation. I think 
like when they say at the end, like the un, like the un, the the sullied husk of the the woman, like that's sort of an interesting thing where it's like, okay, so the grandma was obsessed, like, and they have that picture of her on the wall where she's the queen. So here's King Paimon. So that means that Charlie's pampering as a child and as a baby from grandma was much less about. I'm a, I'm a grandma for a girl and much more kind of this creepy sexual thing, actually, which is right. A whole nother level, by the way. Yeah. Which makes the breastfeeding diorama even more scary. (laughs) 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 No, uh, but that's the, that's the kind of the cool thing too, is that the over pampering, right? The post Rosemary's baby life that this kid would lead is also masked by the fact that she seemingly a special needs. We see her in a classroom that looks like a special needs class, right? Um, we also know that she has the nut allergy. So this over pampering while protecting this demon God <laughs> also has a, a route to make it realistic right. in the world. Hey, uh, which yeah, just so sad. Who was, I could not tell, but the woman, when Charlie is outside, she actually, she cuts the bird's head off. Who's that yeah. woman? Is that Joan in the distance? No, it's not Joan. Cause I actually wondered the same thing. I think it's just a follower. Okay. Um, it's the same thing. Like when they're at the funeral, right? There's all these people. She's like, I don't know who you people are. Right. Yeah. There was a huge, I think thing they're like all that. the followers, okay, right? Cool. This is now they're like, Oh shit's about to pop off. Right. Cause that's one of those things I wondered is the impetus of the whole ritual. Did the mom have to die? Begin the, the first inverted Trinity. So the grandmother dying is what kicks it off. Here's a fun thing that happened at the funeral that I picked up on the second time. Do you remember the the creepy-ass guy who's at the foot of the casket who's staring at Charlie? Yeah. Yeah, like just a sex offender smile? Yeah. He's also the first naked ghost right. we see in the say, house. Right, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure he's the first naked guy. Yeah, because <laughs> right. he has that same creepy what I, smile. What I pegged in on in the second viewing is I think that's Annie's brother who killed himself. Oh, interesting. Okay. I I think the ritual was attempted with him mm-hmm. first, right? He was the Peter originally. Right. Kills himself. Right? So then all the plans get pushed off onto his offspring. I don't know why he would be smiling though. Maybe he's smiling cuz he he's witnessing now what he escaped. I mean, that's an um, interesting. It's an interesting there, theory. There's another thing I noticed at the end when he awakes his Paymon, right? When Peter awakes out of the flower garden, we see the line of nude family members. Right. I, I think those are the ghosts of family past. Oh, see, I don't think they're it, ghosts. I think they're just followers. And why I thought that, right, is because when Peter goes up into the attic, when he's chased into the attic by Tony Collette, which, by the way, one of the all-time great scare moments, the- and it's not a jump scare. She's hanging up above him. It's so He turns great. to see the ghost of his uncle, and then we hear a, a thud, right? Like she dropped. Yeah. We turn to look and then she just runs out of the opposite corner. And it's not an unnatural jump scare. It's a using audio to get us a moment before the big scare. Yeah. Uh, which is so great. I, he runs up into the attic, right? He's looking around. No one else is in there. He sees the the picture of himself uh, in an outline of a body, right? Yeah. As he turns around. He sees... His mom sawing her own head off. Another one of those, like, I'll never get that image out of my yeah, head yeah. as long as I live that. And as she starts really, like, working on it. Yeah. It's like, oh, and the audio is so grotesque. I actually. He looks down and he sees three elderly nude people yeah. that presumably he would have seen when he ran into the attic. Right. That, to me, was people in his family line, right? And as he wakes up and goes to the treehouse, 
I think the treehouse is another visual symbol for the family tree. Sure. Because if you notice, it's built on like three or four tree stumps, right. not like one big tree. It's not built in. Right. They're they're working as stilts. So to me, it's this is the exact cutoff of the family and the replacement by what's in that treehouse, which is Paymon and his cult. So to me, I think that guy is her brother, the ghost of her brother. I think the older nudes in the gr- <laughs> the attic. And outside are old relatives, right? This is who knows how long this cult has been attempting all of this. Mm, that's 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 a theory I picked up on. I don't enough. know that that's right, but I think it is. I still feel because Jones up there, I still feel like they are all just naked followers. But but that's what I mean. She's in the treehouse. Everyone who's not in the treehouse, I think. Oh, are, you um, think it's okay? Well, it could be it. I think everyone not in the treehouse are spirits because they're they're out in the woods. If they were there, why wouldn't they be? up at the ritual why wouldn't they be like you know in the chapel right. when I, their god is is brought upon i them? actually think the scariest moment of the movie for me was was a non-audio cue and it was really scariest thing i saw in the movie was it's the first of the so again like this is just masterful filmmaking all these great tableau shots like these just dead-on shots of these dead-on wide shots of the rooms the first yes. time, it's the first one of it turns them all into the dioramas. Yeah, so it's the first one of that sequence, and the it's the first time you notice Tony Collette like up in the corner, and oh my god, and you're like, and you're, at first you're not paying attention. You're like, where's the scare going to come from? And then you look up in the corner, and it's not very scary at first. You're like, holy shit, is that Tony Collette in the corner? That's terrifying. But then she sits up there for so long. By so the way, that is long. so not the way most horror movies would play. Right. That. But then here, and here, this is the part that scared the shit out of me was it cuts to a close up of Nat Wolf while he's looking around because I think he hears something. And on the right side of the frame, you see Tony Collette and it's not there's no audio to it. But she like crawls not out of the room. Like, <laughs> but it's like this weird sort of like it. swimming out of the room. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the scariest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, they do this thing in the movie a lot where they play with there's a shadowy corner. Yeah. But there's something light colored mm-hmm. that is reflecting just enough right they do it early when he thinks he sees annie when peter thinks he sees annie the first time and it's just a hoodie yeah yeah but it's still kind of scary and like the first time we see the ghost of uh lee the grandma mm-hmm. there's this unusual mix of because she's lighter the way that whites play in the dark yeah you know it's so creepy that when you get to that shadow scene at the end when she's up there in her you know almost all white outfit holy fuck Like, literally, people in my theater were just going, dear God. (laughs) Because that's the thing. My theater was horrible participation. And then they all bought in for, like, that 15 minute of scares. Right. And then once there were, like, old man dicks, they were like, oh, 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 what the hell? This is the weirdest, dumbest movie. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you poor bastards. You poor (laughs) bastards. Also, newsflash. That's what all of our dicks will look like someday yeah, exactly. if we're lucky. There's some, if we're lucky to be old man with saggy ass. There were just a lot of young people in my... There were a lot of young people in my movie who just wanted to do the thing, like, constantly. Oh, uh, I I could have killed someone. Yeah. I would have decapitated for Paymon. This couple behind <laughs> me that kept... Every time they did the clip, it's like they were Pavlov's dumbass dogs. They would answer with a... And I was like, God damn it. I'm like, it's not the wave at a baseball game. You don't have to answer it back. This isn't a call and response thing. It's just a movie. Just watch the movie. Yeah. No, you actually hit on something I loved, which is the the wide center shot that often is a Mm push-in, a slow Mm push-in. It takes the – 
the action and makes it the diorama again, yeah. which I think serves to strengthen the, this is a tragedy that almost becomes unreal and that they have no way to fight against it. Right. right. There is no choice. It's like we're watching a Greek tragedy on the stage. Um, one of my favorite shots of this is the first time they do this all the time where they frame people in doorways. Mm -hmm. Right. So there, there's this symbolism to me of entering in and out and compartmentalizing, right? What is real and what is not right. What I, one of my favorite shots of this, and I could just be totally buying into this and it might not be, but is the first seance, right? When Annie is framed at Jones and what we see, she's directly in the center of two doorways, right? As we see her for the first time looking around, what's that? What's that? You know, like uncomfortable during the seance because she feels something, right? I think Peter described it as the air flexing. Right. And to me, it's the the double doors, right? Is the That's Annie. There's the Annie on the surface right now. And then there's the Annie deeper that she's not willing to unlock and realize that she's doing this yet. Interesting. And to me, that is just one of those visual storytelling things that it just shows that this woman is not whole, right? right? That there's all these extra areas that she can't open. Right. Because she, she's the unwitting villain of the movie. Um, yeah, like, she's the one who sent her to the party. Right. Right? I mean... She's... She... I, oh, man. No, but... I don't, I don't know. It's interesting that Do you... you here's a question. Do you think Tony Collette dug up the body? Uh, no. Do you I think don't. she dug up her mom's body? Who do you think did it? Uh, I think Joan did it. See, I thought that too, because to me, this is the thing. The sleepwalking Annie seems to be trying to fight against the current. Right. Right? But then I was like, I don't know. The fact that Gabriel Byrne, uh, Ultimate Dad, is so into the fact that she did it makes me think she didn't. I, yeah, I don't think she did. Actually, it's something that's something interesting you brought up about how they framed Tony Collette in this movie, because I realize also they did that twice at Joan's house. So I wonder if the idea might be that Joan's house is the go between for her. Like you realize Joe Joan's house is this sort of like, this is where the scales tip in favor of Paymon for Tony Collette. Cause before she's just a grieving mother and she's dealing with her. Yeah. She's dealing with her grief in a variety of different ways at Joan's house. And when she starts spending more time with Joan is where you realize she's going to go one way with it. And especially after the seance, but like, this is something oh, we, Joan is gaslighting the fuck at her. Right. And the, but this is also <laughs> something we talked about. This is also something like um there's a mirror in Joan's house that mm -hmm. you can see Joan in very clearly, but you do not see Tony Collette show up in. And I have to think that's on purpose. But it's interesting that you pointed out the framing during the seance because I realize the reason Tony like Tony Collette doesn't show up in the mirror, but she also is in between the two frames on the mirror inside the doorway. So she doesn't show up in either one of those, and she's also framed in between. So I think the idea is sort of this, like, sort of this impo improvised representation of the fact that this is her, this is the moment where Tony Collette's character decides who she's going, what she's going to do. Like, is she going to buy into this or is she not going to buy into this? And finally it tips, but she still doesn't show up in the mirror, which, you know, is whatever. But. She's incapable of self-reflection. Wow, there it is. That's what it is, I think. She can't look inward because so much of it is locked out from her. Right. And I like that the mirror, it's a double mirror, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's Annie and then there's sleepwalking Annie mm -hmm. and she can't see either. Right. 
She's somewhere stuck in between is this just trying to cope with whatever the fuck is happening. (laughs) Not realizing that she is trying to murder her children and Thanksgiving turkey demons into her son. Yeah. Wow. But that that (laughs) was. Here's a question for you at Joan's apartment. I think that's a great moment that you brought up. But that's what I mean. This this is one of those movies where you're constantly searching the entire screen. Yeah. Right. Which is fun because they center the characters all the time. And you're always looking in the corners. So you're like, what else are they adding? Uh, who do you think is Louie? We kind of touched on it, but I don't know that we ever gave an answer. Oh, who So do, at the who first seance, is? who is playing the part of Joan's uh, grandson? And what may actually be one of the more disturbing scenes in the whole movie, realizing that this spirit, who Tony Collette is obviously the connection to, is gaslighting the fuck out of her. I would say. And pretending to be a dead grandson. I would say it's one of two people. I think it's either Paymon himself or it's the grandma. It's definitely right, not it's Charlie. Paymon, the grandma, or Charlie. I definitely don't think it's Charlie. Yeah, see, I don't think Charlie's a malevolent force in the movie. I think she's the unwitting victim. I also don't think Charlie... And I mean, it's interesting because you brought it up earlier. I also now, after what we talked about, not I'm not entirely sure Charlie exists inside Charlie. See, I feel like she has to for the Trinity, but I get what you're saying. It's hard, right? Yeah. Because Paymon is played as very aloof at the end, right? Like, he doesn't seem to engage emotionally, right. which is exactly what Charlie is. Uh, so if it weren't for the Trinity in that one moment at the party where she seems legitimately worried to be alone, those are kind of humanish reactions, but that could also be Paymon, too. Yeah. Because Paymon, they say, is a trickster god, right? I think so. I mean... Right. I know I know. you get showered with riches when you release them, so good for them. <laughs> we ballin'! <laughs> you think he drops, like, old-ass coins, and they're like, uh, we only accept Bitcoin. Yeah, pa- Paymon? We're, we're, into, we're into crypto, we're Paymon. We're into crypto, Paymon? <laughs> Paymon's, Paymon's the baller crypto god. <laughs> Paymon's like, coins! Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so... Again, so you think it's either Lee or Paymon. I do. Now, here's what I would say. I think it's probably the grandmother. Okay. Because to me, Paymon, I think as he's in between souls, is portrayed as the dancing light. Right. Now, this is something I wanted to talk about, too, because that's something we see a lot. So I think it's probably the grandmother. And that the gaslighting her daughter like that by writing, I love you, Granny. That is something so fucking sick and twisted that only a family member could do that to you. Right. <laughs> you know, like normal people aren't that mean. Right. Only family members right. do things as cruel as that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm with you. I think I thought maybe it was Charlie, but I think maybe all of the seance scenes are actually the grandmother. Right. Uh, the dancing light. What did you make of the light? We see it. Uh, we see it first, I believe. Charlie sees it when she has the little bird head when she's doing the twisted-ass voodoo dolls. Right. She walks out and sees her grandmother's apparition sitting amongst flames, right? Mm-hmm. Later, we see it. Peter follows it uh, to his classroom, and then he I think that's when he sees himself in the mirror smiling. Right. I, th- I don't think that's the scene where he beats the shit out of himself, or maybe it is. But it leads him to, like, another a trick, right? Yeah. It's leading him. It almost plays as, like, St. Elmo's fire, right? Like, leading them off the path to their doom. Right. Um, what what did you make of the light? Is that Paymon? We see it settle on Peter in the end in the garden. Right. Is that Paymon or is it something else to you? I mean, I think it's, 
I think that's Paymon, especially, I mean, obviously at the end, I think it's Paymon. I think throughout the movie, though, it's this, yeah, I think it's Paymon, like, trying to find a way into this world. Like, that's, I think, a big part of it is, and, you know, you really start to see it a lot more after the seance. Like, you start to see the light playing playing a little bit more in scenes after the seance, which I think is what, like, when she says, here, go home, say this, and she's like, what does it mean? I don't know. Of course she knows what it means. It's a seance to unlock the ritual to let this guy into the world. <laughs> so to me, there's a lot of that going on. But I, I think it's Paymon trying to find the vessel, essentially. Because, I mean, you're right. Like, when Peter gets up after being inhabited, like, he looks around and he's obviously, like, very disoriented. So I think there's a certain amount of the Paymon that goes along with being, like, a newborn, so to speak. Yeah, there, the the big question I had about the light is because I pegged it as Paymon's kind of representation because uh, it seems to always be around mischief or uh, false images. Yeah. Uh, but there's a, a something I noticed that kind of tripped me up, which is why does Charlie see it when Paymon is inhabiting her? Like that would be almost Paymon like casting to himself, which I guess might actually be more evidence that Charlie is a separate entity. Because mm, yeah. when we see it after the fact, once Charlie's gone, it makes sense, right? It's the the soul unbound, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they both saw it. I think by the end they make it pretty clear when it settles onto the garden that it's Paymon. Yeah, I think so. And I think the fact that it's a mischievous god, but yeah, what do you make of Charlie seeing it too? I mean, I think Charlie probably is another. Again, it goes back to what they said. Like she was an imperfect vessel, so I think. Paymon's Paymon's looking at her and seeing her and going, no, it's not this. Like, I can't, it can't be this. He's leading Charlie outside. So her mom will just beat her to death for not wearing shoes outside. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. Like all the things she seems to do, put her in some sort of danger on her own. So you have to wonder, like her curiosity is what takes her outside a lot and what takes her to do certain things. So I wonder if the idea of Paymon being like a trickster God or something like that, would factor into, like, I can't have this vessel be the vessel. Like, I know this is what was meant for me, and maybe that's what it is, is, like, Lee nursing and that kind of thing. Knowing, Paymon knowing that that's the vessel also knows it's an imperfect vessel, so he fashions to get rid of it, probably. That's something they should have gotten to. Was Lee lactating? Uh, Lee could not just spontaneously lactate. That would have been a miracle in and of itself. Honestly, I... I did not. But then you realize the only person who could have called that out, like, why is that grandma lactating, is Ultimate Dad. <laughs> hey, wait a second. Something's not right here. Hey, wait a second. I've never seen that on House. Something's not quite right. I've never seen that on Notre Woman. <laughs> Thank you, Gabriel. Uh, now go back the dad to in this, The dad in this movie. Gabriel Unbelievable. Byrne goes back to his scotch in the, in the den, and she's like, it's fine. <laughs> Just... The way he's trying so hard to hold it together. Gabriel Byrne deserves an Oscar for being the dad who tries to hold the family together. Yeah. <laughs> the dad who sees his wife painting their daughter's decapitation scene as a miniature is just like, dear God, come have chicken. Dear God, come have dinner. I made dinner. That was a really bad accent work. I'm not getting any Oscars. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, just to wrap it up, the the aloofness of the dad almost plays with like, there's something there's something this movie I felt like wanted to say about the role of women in family. Right. That I'm not sure I all the way comprehend yet. Um, just something about the inversion of the Holy Trilogy 
Uh, every woman we meet loses their head. Um, the fact that two of the women we see um, choose to, in freezing conditions, sleep in the treehouse. Yeah. Uh, and later we see the grandmother's picture in the treehouse. There's some ex- There's some layer of... I, I don't know how to phrase it. There's something there about the role of women in family that I wasn't quite able to discern. Did you notice anything about that? I don't know if it's necessarily about the role of women in family. I think it's just about the role of women in general. I mean, the movie is so focused on... I mean, again, like, the powerful people in this movie are not men. Like, <laughs> that's a very important no. distinction in this story is that the powerful people in this movie are certainly not Ultimate Dad Gabriel Byrne and Nat Wolf. Like, they are... Vic- they- <laughs> They are either an aloof. It's either an aloof guy sipping scotch in the den, or it's an unwilling, an unwilling participant in a pagan ritual. I'll be over here reading my James Patterson novels as you try to rip our son's head off. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Do whatever you want, dear. It's fine. I, just, just don't want to upset you. Um, yeah, like I think what it ends up being about to me regarding women is, um, it's about that women are. Women are women are the head of the house. Like that's what it really is. But I also think it has to do with the fact that oh, I see what you did there. The head. Well, of the house. I mean, Very nice. you know, it's a little <laughs> on the nose, I think. But it also th- no, that's pro status when you're accidentally slipping wordplay in and you're not even mean to. <laughs> I know. Like that's what's sad is like I thought about it. I'm like, do I really want to say this? But like that's kind of what it is. Is like Tony Collette and her mother and. Tony Collette and her mother and even Charlie for that matter. Like, there's a lot of things that go into this story about women that are really about what it takes to keep a family together. Like that's really kind of what it boils down to for me is like the effort that goes into keeping a family together and keeping a family afloat during tragedy is, has a lot to do with what the movie uh, has to say about family and about secrets and about how we keep secrets from family and how that absolutely unequivocally destroys them at some point. Right, and they they seem to even Tony Collette even says that at one point. I was raised a tomboy. Uh, maybe it was her mom also wanted her to be a son so she could turkey demons into her. Right. Um, but you know she's not shown as a very dainty woman, right? She's often just wearing jeans and plaid. She's yeah. going to buy you know supplies, art supplies. Uh, she's a very in- yeah, she's like, very independent. She's not, she does not need her husband. Yeah, they show Gabriel Byrne cooking a lot. Um, which I mean, come on, me and you are married. Like we know that. The old like leave it to beaver gender types don't anymore. don't play very often. That's not the life I lead. It's definitely not the life I lead. Uh, yeah, if I don't chip in, I'm gonna get a good thrashing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but I feel like maybe they were playing against that. Um, there, yeah, it's a that's what I mean. I love most about this movie, right? Is this movie's unafraid to present you tons of information and emotional input and searing images. Yeah and dares you to make what you will of them, right? It's probably the ultimate example of why we decided on this idea for the film Alchemist podcast, right? Is you throw in these disparate elements and you have no idea what they'll yield, right? Right. This one is an overdrive version of that where it puts in so much and the fact that it blends family drama and just real acting porn, like unbelievable acting yeah. um, with these insane visuals. Like the last 30 minutes of that movie, it reminded me a little bit of what Mother went for, where it just went completely 
off the rails. This one obviously was a little more pointed than uh, <laughs> Mother, and some of the things actually weren't just like outright visual, you know, symbolism. Right. They actually were happening. Uh, I what I wrote down right is between the acting, the ending, the scares, the the set were beautiful. Yeah. The uh, the editing and style and pace were masterful. Um, just little things, right? Like the words on the wall. Who wrote them? Right. I still don't know. Uh, the symbols. Who's putting the symbols out there? And the symbol on the pole that she breaks her head off on and the blood symbol of the body. Like these are fun mysteries I'll get to look into more as I keep watching this. Right. Um, my closing thoughts would be this is a very challenging movie. I think it will be widely panned by audiences that weren't in to go this deep. I think a lot of audiences will say it's not scary enough because it spends a lot of time on the drama. Right. Um, I think it definitely has scenes that will be unforgettable to horror movie fans. Uh, to me, though, this is an immediate all-time classic. Right. Uh, the thought to me that this won't eventually be solidified in my top 10 favorite horror movies of all time is almost impossible. Right. Um, I, I think to get a horror movie that has this level of craft and storytelling and performance is unparalleled in any horror movie I've ever seen. Um, not that it's the best. It's still new. I haven't watched it as many times, but um, unparalleled, you know, in the greatest company, right? It's like I always say, like, there aren't any movies that are better than Gladiator, there are movies that are as good as Gladiator, right? Like, Gladiator is just one of those movies you're like, that's just so fucking good. Like, they did it. They reached the highest levels of film. Right. I think this is like that. Um, and I read an article on Vice that just so made me sad, which is uh, Hereditary is a pretty good horror movie, but sadly nothing else. And it, it just made me so fucking depressed because horror movies often used as a label of derision. Yeah. That it's a lesser genre, that there isn't real craft and storytelling. This obliterates that. And, of course, it's more than just a horror movie. It's an amazing fucking right. feat of storytelling. It's unfucking believable And I know Vice lives to only be hipster contrarians online. Right. But to me, this is an all-time instant classic. We'll go down as one of the top ten most impressive horror movies I've ever seen. I mean, I think it's uh, sad. What are your final wrap-up thoughts? I think it's sad that people would say something like that about this kind of movie. Like, I think, yeah, horror and comedy are derided a lot of the time because you can do them very... You can make those movies for very cheaply, and you can make a lot of them. And no matter what, generally, the reason you can make them and make them cheaply and quickly is because they'll make money no matter what. Because everyone's got... Everyone's a fan of comedy, and everyone's a fan of horror. I think what's different about Hereditary is Hereditary is going to make you think a little bit more. But it also, to me, like when I watched it, at the end I walked out, I'm like, that's pretty much the spiritual successor to Rosemary's Baby. Like if you were ever going to yeah. do a sequel to Rosemary's Baby, that would probably, they've already done it. And it's called Hereditary and they should just watch Hereditary. <laughs> I think that ultimately the movie itself is so fascinating and so vast. Like you have to watch it more than once. Like, I being not a person. My, who, my second screening, I garnered so much more information. I not being a horror person generally, I have to see this movie again. Like that to me is a really fascinating movie and a movie worth watching again because it isn't this jump scare like adrenaline rush movie. It's the slow burn and it's this slow 
it's this slow dive into the psychosis of family. And I think that's kind of another reason. This is something I talked about with my wife because she asked me what I thought. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, it wasn't as scary as I expected. But, I mean, like, what's scary about it is all the family stuff. Like, the family dynamic is so terrifying in so many ways. And I think that might be something that's worth grafting onto. But to me, like, this is a movie that maybe we'll get derided a little bit, but I also think in two or three years, people are going to go back. This guy's going to make another movie and it's going to fucking blow everyone out of the water. And they're going to go back and go, Oh my God, that hereditary movie he made is absolutely fantastic. Like this is the kind of movie that this is the kind of first movie directors make. And to me, they make two or three more movies that are just as good or just like this. And that's when people go back and go, you know, I guess that movie was really good. Oh, what was I thinking? You know what? I did kick ace. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I did like it. You know, sorry. Yeah. Everyone everyone who didn't like this movie is going to wind up being the Gabriel Byrne of their family. And don't be the Gabriel Byrne. Don't be the Gabriel Byrne of your family. Don't be the fucking Gabriel Byrne. (laughs) Yeah. I I guess to legitimately wrap it up. I know I've said that three times now. Um, I, I would push back on the it's not as scary as people wanted um i think you hit it on the head it's scary but in a way that should actually unsettle people yes. um to me as a father it is terrifying to imagine the things that happen in this movie um the unraveling of an entire life right. of an entire family tree um there is no safety in your own home there is no safety and trust amongst your family members and your spouse and um, the loss of self, the invasion of body in this movie is one of the things that really sticks with. Me. Absolutely. Um, and that's the thing while playing with these deeper, headier themes, they still deliver beautiful fucking scare moments. Yeah. Like, uh, so all the audiences that this is what I would say, right? I see every horror movie pretty much in the theater. I can't remember the last time I brought a movie home with me like this, where it's so had me off kilter and actually jumpy and afraid in my own home since paranormal activity. Right. Yeah. Like I know that movie, it had so many sequels and now it's like, Oh, that shit's not scary. Fuck you. Uh, when that movie came out, I remember me and the group I saw with all my roommates, we legitimately all just were like, ha yeah, that was, that was all right. We all slept in the living room with the lights on. Yeah. Oh, I did too. Cause that movie just played on your sense of not making you safe in your own home. This movie makes you not safe in your home and your family amongst your kids, uh, even in your own body. So to me, this is truly a terrifying experience, way more than um, who's chopping me up yeah, <laughs> this week. Absolutely. Um, and I think what will happen is this this is to me, and I, I say this with no um, hot take. This is going to be one of the all-time greatest horror movies that will ever be made. And audiences for generations will keep finding their way to this movie. It will be a timeless classic. Right. Uh, not only as a horror film, but as you said, a family drama and a study on grief and loss. Um, I hope Tony Collette and Nate Wolf, Nat Wolf, both get fucking noms. I hope they win. Um, I hope this movie gets nominated for editing and cinematography. Uh, the music is stellar. Yeah. Um, for the theme of alchemy, uh, to me, every fucking thing in this movie works. <laughs> every fucking thing, except for maybe Gabriel Byrne having no <laughs> reaction. But in a way, as the ultimate dad, he's kind of perfect. So even that works. God bless ultimate dad Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, ultimate fucking dad, right? <laughs>
the dad who's on your 21st birthday, like, try this old-ass bourbon that you won't like and this huge cigar with me while I wear deck shoes and tell you about the stock market. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, we should all be so lucky as to have a Gabriel Byrne. But don't be a Gabriel Byrne. Uh, yeah, man, that's it, man. What a What a fucking... This is the movie experience I hope for every time I go to the theater. What a rad flick, man. For real. Yeah, I I hope all of you see this. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, send us anything you have, anything you notice. Answer any of the riddles that we stumbled across. Um, let us know. Guys, if you like the show, uh, the best thing you can do to help us out here at The Alchemist, uh, share. Just share with a buddy. If you have another guy who likes movies or someone you saw this movie with, share it with them personally, right? And then if you're so inclined, take a moment to rate and review the show. It seems silly, but it helps us out enormously. It really does. Um, yeah, and it, just to wrap it up again for the 19th time, <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for joining us and listening. Uh, we will be back with more of the movies that you love. Anything you want us to see in theaters for now playing, keep us keep us abreast. Keep us uh, abreast for, of this. Yeah. Like an old lady trying to lactate in my mouth, keep me abreast. Keep me abreast. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> For the Film Alchemist podcast, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Catch you next time, peeps.